It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio, and thank you very much for joining me this morning. I'm going to start off by heading south from Illinois to where I was last week. I was once again on the coastline of the Louisiana marshes, lower Mississippi, over west towards Lafayette. And why am I going to talk about Louisiana marshes? We've talked about it before. I've had a number of individuals on the air through the years. And when I returned the other day from from being there once again and seeing the Louisiana, the South Louisiana culture and enjoying the incredible seafood and also spending time on the coastal marshes, I realized that we are facing it's being if you're in Louisiana, you know about this. If you're in the rest of the country, as we are here in Illinois, we, we just are not in tune with the incredible loss of marsh habitat that is occurring in Louisiana and has hurt occurred in Louisiana over the past 60 to 70 years. And what a catastrophe it is, it's already unfolded and it's only going to get worse. The catastrophe of course, is that we are losing about a football field of land every minute in South Louisiana. We've lost an area larger than the state of Rhode Island. And I think now we're putting about to put together Rhode Island and Delaware together. The Louisiana marshes are the most significant ecological region of the country for many species of fish, for shrimps, for crabs, for crawfish. They are also the primary breeding area, wintering areas for migratory birds, waterfowl in particular, and they're also an important breeding area for many birds that move up from South America to breed in South Louisiana in the summer, spring and summer, the egrets in particular, snowy egrets. So the Louisiana marshes, and they're home to the largest oil and gas refining areas on the continent. What's happening is due to the fact the Mississippi River has been levied and its sedimentation no longer can can spread over this vast area of marshland. We're losing the ability to replenish the soil that gets washed into the Gulf. We also are having some subsidence, which is a naturally occurring thing in marshlands. And we have had now better part of half a century or more of oil and gas channels being cut into the marsh to drill wells and then access the wells, which enables saltwater intrusion to come in behind them. All of those factors put together mean the Louisiana marshes are, in fact, right in front of our very eyes, disappearing and disappearing on an enormous scale. 
and couple that with what has been perhaps modest sea rise in that part of the world, an area that is barely above sea level to begin with, and you have the perfect recipe for a disaster. And it's a true national disaster. We all know about the Everglades, and the Everglades are wonderful. But if the Everglades, as I've said before, went away tomorrow, the people in South Florida would know it, but the rest of the continent really wouldn't be aware of it. The Louisiana marshes go away, as they are, we're all going to be aware of it. We're going to lose a lot of our seafood. We're going to lose a lot of our bird life. We're going to put in danger our oil and gas refining capabilities. And ultimately, we're going to lose cities like New Orleans, almost lost in Katrina, as the Gulf of Mexico continues to, to ever to, to encroach further and further in the marshland. We're putting, we're putting millions of people uh, literally in harm's way uh, because the marshes are gone. This is a combination of so many factors that it's, it's hard to believe that we as a country are not focused on this as, as our highest conservation priority, natural resource preservation priority. I, I, I don't think there's an area, and we talk a lot about the prairies, and we'll be talking more about them, particularly as we get in the summer, the prairies of, of North America, where over 70% of North America's birds breed. And where so much of the drinking water for the central part of the United States and Canada comes from, but in underground aquifers, but Louisiana marshes are at the other end of the spectrum. And, and we're una- basically continue to be unaware as a society that one of the most important ecological areas on the continent uh, is, is going away. And it will go away. Uh, if, if something is not done, the rate of acceleration of marsh loss is only going to increase. The economic damage from storms is only going to increase. And the loss to wildlife and fisheries is only going to increase. There are all kinds of studies underway to discuss how to, how to slow or reverse the loss of marsh. They are all expensive. What is really expensive and irreversible is to see the marsh continue to be lost. It's something that is going to the next 25 years or 30 years, the estimations, and I've seen it over the past 40 years with my own eyes, the estimations are so significant of loss that we will end up with a coastline of South Louisiana that resembles nothing like it did in its natural state. Not only is it a, an economic loss, it's, it's, an, it's an enormous ecological loss. And hopefully our country can come to the realization that this has to be saved. This isn't something that's happening slowly over time. This is happening in real time and ever quickening in areas where I, 10 years ago, was in the middle of catching redfish in vast marshland. Now I'm in the Gulf of Mexico in two feet of mud and water. So Louisiana was on my mind this past week as I was there, and, and we need nationally to, to really pay attention, and not only pay attention, we need to act. We need to fix this problem, and we, we can. It's going to take money, lots of money, but it seems like the United States government 
seems to think we have lots of it for lots of causes. I can't think of many more important than saving the Gulf Coast marshes. From Louisiana, I went up into the Mississippi, as I've, I've done for many years, to, uh, to frankly look at what's taking place in the Mississippi River and the flooding that is just so prevalent in the, in the lower Mississippi River. There's, there is no question that the Corps of Engineers, and if you work for the Corps of Engineers and you're listening, I'm sorry if I'm offending you, but there is no question the Corps of Engineers bears the responsibility for the disastrous flooding that continues to take place in the lower Mississippi River system, even in years like this where we don't have a lot of water. And the reason is it's very simple. The river can no longer carry the amount of water it used to due to the sedimentation that has been caused by the creation of all these wing dams that go out into the river, which was designed for one purpose, to force the flow of the Mississippi River to its center so that shipping traffic would be able to move up and down the river in a scoured bottom. That was the whole idea. Well, when all of these wing dams and other structures have gone into the river by the Corps of Engineers, the sand over time has piled up behind them to where now the entire lower Mississippi River is, it has a great deal more sediment and sand than it did before, and, and you just simply don't have the ability to move water through. The result is from Natchez to Greenville, the lower Mississippi up to Memphis <clears throat> spends more of the year in flood, in flood stage than it ever has in its history, its modern history, at least the history we understand. The flood levels are getting higher and more prolonged. So we have taken an ecosystem in the lower Mississippi and basically put it underwater for, for months on end. It's killing vast stretches of timber. It is killing wildlife, and it's also having a big impact on the economy because as the river floods, it impacts oil drilling throughout the lower Mississippi. It impacts agriculture. It's backing the river up into the Yazoo Basin in Mississippi. There are all kinds of problems. So you take South Louisiana and what's happening in the coastal marshes, and you take the lower Mississippi and, it's, and the, the ever-increasing flooding, the one common denominator is the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They are responsible for this. They were put in charge of this by the United States government. Flood control, transportation is under their purview, and the result has been a, a fundamentally altered landscape for the lower Mississippi. And I'm not picking on the Corps of Engineers. It's just, it's just true that we also have had incredible environmental degradation. There are lots of benefits to the work the Corps has done. We have flood control. People are much safer than they used to be. There also are incredible drawbacks. The loss of Louisiana coastal marshes in the billions of dollars in, in economic loss. You have now flooding up and down the river where it did not occur before for prolonged periods, killing all kinds of timber, as I said, impacting wildlife, agriculture. You add all those costs up together, and it's an, it's an enormous an enormous number. Does it outweigh the benefits of what the Corps has done over since 1927 flood and the channelization of the river? I'm not here to debate that. 
I'm just here to say that the lower Mississippi River of the United States of America is in a terrible shape, and it's largely because of what we've tried to do to harness the river. It's not working. The environmental and economic degradations are going to continue to get larger. And as we watch the Louisiana coastline just get washed away into the Gulf of Mexico, we're destroying something that took thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of years to build, and we're washing it away in 40, 50, 60 years, forever gone. That's, that's, that's pretty shocking, and I think it should wake all of us up, and it should make us ask, how can we stop this problem? It, we all depend on a healthy lower Mississippi River Valley. I'll be back in just a moment, and when I do, I want to talk about the, the drought that's really taking hold on the prairies, and I also want to talk a little bit about the NR National Rifle Association and how their their problems could be impacting conservation in, in a pretty broad way. And if I have enough time, I'll talk about turkeys or the lack thereof and what appears to be a declining population across a pretty broad stretch of the United States. Thanks so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert. Sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And uh, if you're thinking at the end of that, I was pretty hard on the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, I think it's justified. And I know that may upset a lot of people. I do think it's justified that we, at this point in time, can question the validity of what the Corps of Engineers has done that has had such an environmental cost across such a broad landscape. And yes, yes, there's no question that people are able to live safely in places where they were not before, before the Corps of Engineers got in the flood control business and also were able to have transportation on a river system that is the pipeline to America, that being the Mississippi River, but the costs of this, the costs of this are, are huge in environmental uh, costs and in the loss of, 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 frankly, some of our most important landscapes. In any event, I want to move beyond that, heading further north, the drought. It appears we are really in tough shape on the prairie breeding grounds of North America, where over 70% of our birds nest and depend upon. Uh, the Dakotas are bone dry. Southern Canada's bone dry. Eastern Montana's dry 
Dr. Michael Anderson, who is one of the most respected scientists of this generation, um, been following waterfowl populations for many years, particularly canvasback, has been doing a continuous study for over 50 years of canvasback nesting in Manitoba, one of the driest springs he's seen. Furthermore, we, this is complicated by the fact that for the second year in a row, the U.S. and Canadian Wildlife Services will not be carrying out their waterfowl breeding census, which has been ongoing, uninterrupted since 1955 until last year with COVID. So we are beginning to fly blind a little bit. For two years in a row, we will not have any information on the number of wetlands. We won't have baseline information on the breeding populations of various species of, of waterfowl. Uh, this data is, is extremely important in the establishment of, of hunting seasons. Uh, and when you go into a drought, as we, as we are absolutely in, in, in a drought right now, um, as you, as this deepens, we really need to understand the extent of population declines and there naturally are population declines and the extent of wetland loss. But we're flying blind. We're not going to know this year. And, and I do think under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, there actually are, there's some wording about what happens if a survey is not conducted three years in a row. Uh, we're going to find out more about that, but it does appear to put into question, can the Fish and Wildlife Service actually um, carry out uh, waterfowl hunting seasons in the year 2022 if for some reason there were not a survey this summer? Because under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1917, the law says that waterfowl, the hunting of migratory birds is closed and can only be opened by the Department of Interior um, when it comes to having hunting season. So the Migratory Bird Treaty Act actually closed hunting to be opened annually based upon populations and the suitability of having a hunting season. Well, if we don't have any information as to population levels because of surveys not being completed, it, the Fish and Wildlife Service could find themselves in a bit of a problem with opening the season without any information. They're going to do it this year. They may not be able to do it after this, and hopefully we're not dealing with this anymore, but, but the Canadian government is has just shut down everything in Canada. We could actually carry out the surveys in the prairies of the United States, but that would only give us a partial picture, and it's not worth doing that without the Canadian part of the equation in place. So thank you very much for listening. I did not make it to the NRA. I will next week. I did not make it to turkeys. But thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be back next Sunday morning with much more in the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.